episode 84, Tim Lehman. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people-first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. All right, guys, today we've got a CEO on the show that I personally know and thoroughly enjoy learning from. This guy is passionate about building a great place to work, Gibson Insurance. I've had many opportunities to see behind the curtain at Gibson and how this organization operates, and it could be a training ground for employee engagement. I mean that. This CEO is committed to growth, always striving to get better and influencing his people to do the same. Today, we're going to talk about how to and why to own the role of CEO and his journey to delegating and trusting his team and many other great habits that have made him successful. I get so energized talking with him. I hope you enjoy this. All right, I've got a leader from my state, Indiana, who takes a front runner on the greatest places to work in our community, and I'm so ready to tap into his passion for his team, their mission, and his role as CEO. Welcome, Tim Lehman. So, Tim, we've talked about your journey to owning the CEO function and how it's been a journey for you. So let's start with this. Why do you think it's important to reiterate this topic of encouraging CEOs to own the CEO function? One of the most important things, and it's actually on my mind a lot these days, is CEOs got to figure out what what game they're playing. You don't get to pick all the rules of the game, but you do get to pick how you play it. And uh, Simon Sinek's got a new book out called The Infinite Game. But the concept actually came out, um, back, like, I think it was like 1986, a guy named James Kars, um, professor in the Northeast somewhere. And he was the one who came up with this concept of finite and infinite games. And I think whether it's times of crisis or times of growth and everything's wonderful, making that decision and owning that for your organization of how, how is it, how are you playing the game? And I think particularly when you think about finite games are all about winning, there's a score. I mean, think about a, think about a football game or a basketball game. There's a clock, there's a score. It's a winner-takes-all kind of environment. And an infinite game is all about continuing the game, staying in the game. So the win is all about resiliency. And when you start thinking, not just playing the long game, but I mean, truly playing the infinite game, it really changes how you as an organization, you as an individual, you as a leader, everything about how you make decisions and, and so on. So I think that's a huge part of owning it is deciding what that is. And, and I don't hold judgment or whatever for any other leaders in picking that. I mean, maybe in their circumstances, finite games are, are where it's at. But for what we do and how we do it, the infinite game has been guiding us for a long time. We just we just didn't have Simon Sinek to put a label on it. So I'm curious in this journey that you've been on to get here, you know, what resources come to mind that helped you pick your game or get clear on your game? And, you know, it sounds simple, but um, I consume information all the time and I've gotten a lot better about not consuming things that don't really do anything for me. So my wife keeps tabs on what's going on in the news and I get my uh, snippets from her, but I don't, I don't spend time on the news on the outside. I spend time um, learning from other leaders, other experts and so on out there, podcasts like what you do here. And those might be articles. Those might be, you know, little, uh, you know, videos. It might be um, podcast books, whatever, but it's it's been such a big big part of uh, for me, and I think one of the things in more recent years, I found a couple of good sources that 
have challenged me to really think differently. It's not what I would have normally looked at. It's not always the articles I would have normally maybe read. And so one of those is uh, there's a guy named Shane Parrish, and uh, he has a e-newsletter called Brain Food, and Farnham Street is his company. And he puts some original stuff out there and then finds some obscure articles in a lot of different journals. And I mean, just some really rich stuff. Sometimes you have to nerd out a little bit, but um, on those, but the, the kind of things that, that it's done in terms of helping me think is great. And then I love following uh, James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, and just some really straightforward stuff, um, again, on how to think and extreme focus. I'm on my third round of Atomic Habits right now. I'm so addicted. <laughs> I know that you're very involved in some platforms that allow you to be around other peers, leaders that are you know, helping you learn and you're peer mentoring them, if you will. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Nikki, I can't even imagine what life would be like for me. And um, I'll say for my family too, let alone Gibson, my, my company, a couple of different groups over the years. I was in a kind of a local CEO forum and I really appreciate uh, the individual who ran that organization. I had an opportunity to join YPO, Young Presidents Organization, probably six or seven years ago now. And he was great about it because he understood that that was what I needed. And his whole thing has always been, hey, I'm going to miss you not being in my peer groups, but I just think people should be in a peer group. So YPO has done uh, wonders for me too. And I, and I would even, I give it credit for Half of that it has been on the personal front, made me a better dad, better husband. I mean, I think about uh, my wife and I um, are pretty religiously focused on doing date nights um, every week. But it, on the surface, it probably doesn't sound very romantic. I think they're kind of almost administrative date nights. But we'll go sit at the bar with Chris on and we do it on Sunday nights. And we'll just kind of, you know, grab some apps and walk through, you know, the week ahead. How do we feel this week and all that? And and believe it or not, um, that actually makes everything else so much better. Like the entire week ended nicely and, and Mondays got better. And, and I know Mondays matter to you. And it's also been such a great place to learn from a, a business standpoint and being around some of the smartest people I know. I, I met one of my board members at Gibson, being an Indianapolis person, you know, Tiffany Souter, and she's added just a ton to our, our company as well. So we all get together and uh, no holds barred, share, you know, complete transparency. How's everybody doing? How are they doing this, that, or the other? So what I love about that is I've got 25 little innovation labs going on. There's no corporate speak where it's being handed down from above from New York or San Francisco or Chicago on all the branch offices will do this. Instead, we're all out there innovating, doing new things and sharing and borrowing uh, from one another. So they just make you better. They're safe places. And people who aren't in peer groups are completely missing out. So good. Can you just share your journey on things like delegating and trusting others to really own that CEO role? And just what's that journey been like? I'm kind of a, a sales jockey, I guess, at the end of the day. And that's how I started. And um, along the way, uh, it oftentimes happens, you know, if you're pretty good at it, they they ask you to start managing a small team of salespeople. And sometimes that's a disaster because the, a lot of the best salespeople, the, those skills don't translate into leading and managing. That classic line of, you know, all the things that got you there aren't the things that are going to help you do well in the role. It was really hard because all, all the things that um, drove me as a salesperson and all the, the things that motivated me and all those innate qualities 
led to all kinds of trampling um, on people along the way. So I had to set aside a lot of uh, things that I had learned and unlearn them and re- relearn things and, and got some of that player, I call it player coach role, got that figured out okay. And the thing I learned later on, I didn't really have to change because as a player coach, you know, if we were coming up on the end of a quarter or the end of a year and things were rough, I, I could just put myself in the game. I could go sell a big new account. I could go personally make something happen. And that was fun and my people appreciated it, but it, it allowed me to slip back into the mode and rescue when, when needed. When I joined Gibson in late 2005, jumped into a player coach role with the idea though that I would move into the, the overall um, president um, CEO role within a, within a couple of years at this you know 75 year old company. And it just smacked me um, right in the face. I had so many mistakes and errors and problems and dumb things that I did. I actually wrote a book about it. It was called um, Our Evolution. It's spelled like revolution, just a little R. Our Evolution turned crisis into clarity and ignite growth. Well, it, it, was, uh, it was partly cathartic for me to write out all these things. I also uh, had a goal of hoping others would maybe avoid some of the dumb things I did. And, and I sat there so often and wondered, like, what was wrong with me, but that that player coach thing didn't translate, and I couldn't figure it out. And and finally, my predecessor was like, you know, you're you're not a bad guy. And I'm like, thank you, because I mean, all these people like they hate me. And he goes, no, but the the thing is, is that back when you were in that player coach sort of role, you'd be in the car rolling along with one of the client service people out to a meeting or driving somewhere, and that's when you know you were able to be you. And you could ask them about their kids and their family, because I know you care about those things. But when you're not, you don't have that time to interact with them anymore. And now you're doing the leadership thing full time. All they see is this person that's got the pedal to the metal constantly and just grinding and pushing. And they think that that you don't care about them personally. And it was just such a revelation to me because I, I, I really I couldn't understand it. Like, I mean, hey, you can call me a lot of things, but to think I, I don't like people or I don't care. I mean, oh, my gosh, that's who I am. And. It was a big learning opportunity. It was challenging. It was rough. It made me want to throw in the towel a few times. In fact, my, my wife, I think this was probably 2007. I had to have a little sit down with her and, and she said that uh, you are an absolute mess. Nobody um, likes how you're coming home every day. So you either need to suck it up and figure it out or or quit. We'll move back to Arizona. I don't really care, but you can't, can't keep coming home this way. So so figure it out, big boy. And uh, she, she was right. And, uh, and uh, we kind of kind of got it all together and ultimately started moving on the right path. So that, that was a massive learning opportunity for me. Your book sounds awesome. We're definitely going to link to the book. We'll have that in the show notes. You're a big fan of EOS. So talk about how EOS has helped structure Gibson and hold leaders and employees you know, to their roles and responsibilities and especially helped you in your journey to really owning the CEO function. If a first phase of the journey was that movement from um, coming up to the ranks, player, player coach, and then full-time coach, I think the second phase of, of it all was to refining all that and getting um, so much better at it. And that really involved um, going through and kind of figuring out, uh, Dan Sullivan calls it your unique ability. There's a lot of different words for it. And through that whole process, we stumbled across um, EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, and they kind of talk about the two key roles in an organization and the leadership piece being the visionary and the integrator. And uh, I loved reading it. It felt like I could 
finally come out as me of who I really was. This, this, it just spoke to me about like, yes, I'm, a, I'm like this visionary person. And I had been doing both roles and you, you might call the visionary role, the CEO role and the integrator role maybe is the president or COO role. And I could always do it pretty well, but I made myself do the operational role as well as I could because it was all part of that big picture that I wanted to accomplish, but didn't realize how much I didn't enjoy it. So all the visionary stuff really spoke to me. And then it got to the chapters around the integrator and that's when it hurt my feelings a little bit. But uh, Gina Wickman talks about the, the actual, the harder job, the harder role to fill is the integrator role. And they're the glue that holds everything together that harmoniously coordinates all the resources in the organization. And one of my coaches said it a little more bluntly to me is that you're a complex person and you move really fast and you've got all these big ideas and you can just wear people out. So you need this buffer between you and everybody else so that you don't kill all the people that you love and they can help you filter these ideas. And then we just work on the really, the most important ones, the best ones. And the other ones we'll sit off in this parking lot on the side. They're not forgotten. We'll work on them, but we'll work on them when we have time and that's the right time. And, and all of that was about making somebody like me feel safe, that I was heard. And so that whole EOS thing helped me to stop bothering and helicoptering in. And that allows me to focus on the visionary stuff and the rest of the team on the important stuff of operating the, uh, the company. I feel like we could talk on EOS for a whole nother episode, but let's talk about the ESOP transition for a second, because this happened underneath your leadership since you've been there. Gibson you know, has been around for many years and under your leadership, you became an ESOP. So how did that come to be? When I, when I joined Gibson, one of the big reasons was to, to buy into the company and become an owner. We haven't had anybody with the last name Gibson on the payroll for about 25 years um, at least. And so it, it had transitioned over the years, over 75 years. It had, it's been employee-owned, just key stockholder partners had bought in. When I bought in, I didn't know how to read uh, the financial statements all that well. And I was just so excited to be a partner. And I didn't see how the business was trending. And we were actually um, heading to a really rough spot even prior to the Great Recession. We had big-time perpetuation issues. We had partners that were senior partners that were going to retire in the next couple of years. And we owed them a lot of money. And I bought in and immediately Great Recession hit. So for a long time, I had the dubious distinction of buying the most shares in the company at the highest price because the next few years, our valuation Actually, um, the enterprise value of the firm actually went down for about three years straight. So I was um, sweating bullets. My wife and I put everything we had into this and leveraged it heavily. And now we are big time underwater, kind of half miserable. And then I realized that someday the music would stop and who would buy my shares? So all of the things, the dreams and everything were crashing around. And one of my friends, uh, CPA at Crow, said, hey, you know, have you ever thought of ESOPs? And I'm like, oh, no, let's, you know, talk to me about that. And Crow has a big ESOP practice. So we jumped in. I started researching the heck out of that. My older partners were very skeptical. Took a couple of years to convince them of that. And in January 1 of 2011, we put the ESOP in place. So the ESOP owns about a third of our company. Uh, the other two thirds are owned by employee stockholders directly. But all of our employees get to participate in free ownership of the company. How's the ESOP structure furthered your passion and your pride around being a great place to work? Yeah, I get a lot of calls about ESOPs from companies I want to talk, and uh, we're held out as an example of one. And uh, some of them are come in thinking, hey, I, I need a cultural boost. I'm going to put an ESOP in. And I, I try to encourage them or discourage them. That's, that's, a, that's the absolute wrong 
thing, uh, wrong way to look at it. ESOPs aren't going to make a company great. ESOPs are actually a great reward to those individuals that are doing things the right way and those companies that are doing things the right way, and it further bonds. But ESOP won't make a poorly run company suddenly well run. Poor managers don't become better. Bad cultures don't get fixed. So it's a part of it, but it fits in so well for playing the long-term infinite game. I mean, when we're seeing 401k, I mean, plans, right? Nobody wants to be looking uh, during times of massive economic crisis. Nobody wants to look at their statements and see what's going on with those. It's scary. And here we have this stable platform with the ESOP where it's valued annually. You know, we've got a, a, an increase in big increase in value this year. And that stability that people have, I think it just helps them feel so much safer. And it's a, just a great reward. Talk about what it's like for you to recognize someone in your organization doing great work and then be able to offer this opportunity, you know, to share in the ownership of the company. Like, what's that like? Uh, several statement days back, I walked out of the, the, the auditorium where we were at with all of our people for take a quick break. And as I was getting ready to walk back in, all of our people were in there. One of our um, client service people ran out and about tackled me and hugged me and said, she's like crying and saying, this this is like the greatest thing ever. My, my husband told me I can never, ever leave Gibson. And, you know, that was just like a great day for me to hear that from her. And it feels good to know that we're making that kind of impact in their lives. And that's going to last far beyond when she's done it at Gibson. This is about it's about what she can do for her grandkids. Um, it's about taking them to Disney World. It's that that feels wonderful. That's so cool. Why do you tirelessly work to be seen as a great place to work? Like, where does that fire come from? I realized um, as a salesperson um, early on that um, I felt like there was nothing I couldn't sell. There was no goal I couldn't hit, and all that. But it wasn't it wasn't enough. And when I got into more of that player coach role, I, I realized how much more I loved chess instead of checkers, and I loved. I love team victory as well. So I like this strategy and I love doing it alongside people. And so I'm one of those, you know, if the tree falls in the forest, I, I mean, did it actually even fall? If I'm not doing this with other people, it does not give me the juice. I just love seeing um, our team uh, win together. So that's that's a huge part of, you know, what drives me. And then on a, on a real practical level, you know, being in the insurance brokerage business like we are, People, that's it. You know, it's our, our clients and so on. I mean, every, everybody in my business can get a Hartford insurance policy or a Blue Cross policy. It's not about the policy. It's how we do it, how it's delivered. And that's all of our, our people. So good. Absolutely loaded episode here. We're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsor message today, and we're going to come back with what we call our lightning round, where we get to know just a little bit more about you, Tim, and how we can connect with you after the show. We'll be right back. If you know me, you know how important it is for me to get fired up and get myself in the zone. When you're at your best, feeling positively challenged and energized, time flies and things just flow. One of our partners on this show is called The Zone. They are a perfect partner because they help you and your team crush your goals by unlocking the obstacles holding you back from getting well and in the zone. And as a special offer for just you listeners, they're offering 10 free coaching sessions on how to unlock the power in your team. So you can claim your spot, grab one of those 10 spots at www.thezone.co forward slash gut science forward slash coaching. That's going to be available in the show notes. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science with Tim Lehman, CEO of Gibson Insurance. Uh, Tim, awesome, awesome episode. Let's dive in and learn a couple things about you today. Uh, number one, what's your favorite book of all time or one that you would recommend to our leader listener audience? 
it's hard because I love so many of them. So just a couple that I finished up recently, What It Takes by Stephen Schwartzman. Stephen's the um, Blackstone founder. And at first it sounded a little bit arrogant as I was going through it, but this guy's like the Forrest Gump of the finance world. He's been at every turn of every corner and is just a really cool story of what uh, that organization has built. Another one by a guy named Ben um, Horowitz is What You Do Is Who You Are. And that's like uh, probably six little snippets of all kinds of different leaders, right down into a, a guy that was in the Michigan prison system and became an amazing leader inside it, running gangs. And of course, now has really changed his life around, but just some really interesting leadership stuff there. What's your favorite vacation spot? I love two things. I love Cabo San Lucas. It's just awesome having like Arizona weather, but on the ocean. And then I also love going over to the West Coast of Michigan. It's like the ocean, but no salt. It's beautiful. What's your favorite hobby when you're not working? I'm out on the water here um, on the lake. So either on the on the tri-tune or paddle boarding or something, but just kind of doing nothing. And Tim, how can our listeners connect with you after the show? Yeah, I'm out there um, really heavy on social and I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. So Tim Lehman, last name is L-E-M-A-N. And so you can find me on LinkedIn. I love connecting out there. Tim Lehman on Twitter and uh, email too. I mean, it's fine. Um, T-L-E-M-A-N at GibsonINS.com. All right, Truth You Can Act On today with Tim Lehman. Here's my four takeaways. Number one, you've got to know the game you're playing. As a CEO, as a leader, you got to know your game. Number two, eliminate clutter and distractions, like get rid of the news and the chatter and focus on things like collaborating with peers and mentors. Number three, have a foundational operating system to run your business like EOS and ensure that key roles needed to fully implement the system are in place. Then you just watch the dashboard and the metrics and hold the great people on your team accountable. And number four, reflect on the platforms you have to recognize great work. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.